Welcome to the MTech Cast, brought to you by CompTIA's Emerging Technology Community, where we talk with experts in the industry about emerging technology. Hello, and welcome to CompTIA's MTech Cast, where we talk about all things emerging tech with the people bringing these fascinating new technologies to market. MTech Casts are brought to you by CompTIA's Emerging Tech Community, an ongoing forum that looks at new and emerging technology that improves business outcomes. You can join us at comptia.org slash communities and click on Emerging Tech. My name is Jim Hamilton, and I look after our communities at CompTIA, and it's my pleasure to welcome to our podcast today Tom Raftery, who's a global VP for SAP, an innovation evangelist, futurist, and international keynote speaker. Prior to joining SAP, Tom worked with a number of companies as a group IT manager, CTO level, and as an industry analyst. Tom is also a regular guest lecturer at the International Institute San Telmo Business School in Seville. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks, Jim. Great to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure, pleasure. So thinking about you at SAP uh, and in this bird's eye seat of many, many industries, uh, it must be fascinating just to watch uh, technology permeate, uh, you know, just, just our society as a whole. Today, we're going to dive into a fascinating industry, uh, which is the transportation sector. And uh, I know this is a specialty for you. And uh, just maybe you can paint a picture for us today in the transportation industry. How's technology revolutionizing uh, how we get around and, and how we move goods and services around? Uh, I, I do a lot of these kind of innovation talks on, on different different industries, and one of the most interesting of those happens to be the transportation industry, and hence we're talking about it today. And the, the three uh, kind of changes that I'm noticing in the transportation industry, the, the three big uh, shifts that we're seeing are the shift to uh, connected transportation, which is you know already there. When you buy a car, a new car today, there's a very strong chance it will have a SIM card built into it, and it'll be a connected vehicle. I think it's about 80% of cars, new cars sold today are now connected. Uh, and then there's a shift to the electrification of transportation, which is just starting out on that journey. Um, we're just starting out on that journey in, in force, I should say. I mean, there's been electric cars for over 100 years, but now it's starting to become a thing again. And then the third big shift is a shift to autonomy, which is we're really at the very, very early stages of that. But that's a shift that is going to have enormous global impacts. So do you want me to talk about the uh, connected cars kind of stuff first? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, tell us, tell us what you think is fascinating to you and, and, uh, and, and maybe should be fascinating to our listeners. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, that's one that's, you know, it's that that's really the future is now on that, on this one. It, it is today, as I say, nearly all new cars are connected. I've just ordered a new car myself uh, and it will be a connected car. I happen to know that it comes shipped with a SIM card built in. Um, and this, this has, you know, big implications because now the cars are talking back to the manufacturers and there's all kinds of issues around data and, and privacy on that. Um, I remember I was, uh, I, I go back to Ireland, you know, two or three times a year. And the first time this really struck me was two years ago when I went back for Christmas and I went to the rental car counter and uh, took out a car and drove it to uh, to my dad's place. My dad uh, at the time was living in, in, in Cork and I drove it to his place and uh, spent the night there. And the following morning, I received an email from the rental car company scoring me on my previous day's driving and rating oh, me no. 
rating me on uh, acceleration, rating me on braking, <laughs> rating me, you know, and, and giving me an out of 100 score and, and how I compared to other drivers. And and there was also an opt out option there. But, you know, uh, nice it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it it. it for me, it wasn't that surprising, but for, for many people, I suspect, who don't realize that particularly rental cars are very heavily tracked, um, mm. you know, that all these sensors are built into cars. And uh, as, as you mentioned at the outset, I, I work for SAP and, you know, we supply software to all the main uh, car manufacturers and to all their suppliers. And one of the suppliers, uh, I was talking to a guy called Christian Bessler, who, who works for Continental. And Continental, many people would know them as a tire company, but that's the, the, the tire and the rubber section is only 40% of their revenue. They get the other 60% from building the smarts that's in most of our cars. Uh, many of, many of uh, your listeners will have Continental components in their cars and not be aware of it because it's a B2B business. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the telemetric stuff, for example, and the advanced braking, that's all, that's all Continental. <clears throat> so... They're now building this thing called the remote vehicle data platform, which is based on our software. And it allows them to uh, collect all the telemetric data from any model of car and to bring it back into their own cloud and then to share it with either the car owner or what they want to do is to share it with the car owner's trusted service center such that the service center manager will become a fleet manager for all his or her customers, the UNIs. So the idea is it would be a predictive maintenance play where today, if your car breaks down or is about to break down, a warning light comes on in the dashboard and you have no idea what it means and you open up the manual and you try and find the section with the warning lights and it has some error code or some bit of text that's hard to understand and then you have to ring up the dealership and you have to schedule an appointment and they have to diagnose it and it's the whole rigmarole. Whereas what this what Continental Solution hopes to do is to completely get rid of all of that so that when the warning light comes on in your car, your service center has already been notified. They have already got all the data. They have already diagnosed it. They have already got in the replacement part and they will contact you maybe even before the warning light comes on to say your car is going to break down in the next two weeks. We have a replacement part in here. If you can come in X morning next week between the hours of 11 and 11.30, we'll do a swap out and you'll be back on the road in 30 minutes or whatever it is, you know? So it's to make the whole thing far uh, less friction uh, for the car owner, for you and I. I'm thinking around businesses in particular that they would benefit from this. You were mentioning fleets before. Yeah. Um, you know, just you know, when a car or a truck is off the road, that's dollars lost. It's Correct. lost productivity. Um, so I could see some massive adoption on on that side just to keep keep cars on the road, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and I, I think the the initial well, just just on on this solution itself. Uh, I, I was talking to Christian about this and I said, yeah, but that's just new vehicles, right? And he said, no, 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 no. He said the average age of the uh, of a vehicle in Europe, of a, of a family-owned vehicle, not a commercial one, but of a family-owned vehicle in Europe is nine and a half years. He said, so we would be silly to dismiss that market. He said, no, 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 this is complete. This goes back to cars made to, I think he said 2006. 
uh, when the ODB2 ports were first put in, oh, probably. Okay. So, yeah, wow. so, you know, much larger addressable market. But the other cool side of that story was, he said to me, while they were developing this uh, platform, they were approached by a weather company. And the weather company said to them, you're collecting all this data from cars. And they said, yeah. He said, so you're collecting GPS, time of day, external air temperature, windscreen wiper status, fog <laughs> lights, right. all that kind of stuff. And they were suddenly, you know, they could have hyper-local, uh, real-time weather information and continental. This had never occurred to them. And suddenly they had a whole nother potential revenue stream coming from the data that they were collecting for wow. service management of cars. And now they have a whole, as I say, a whole nother potential revenue stream. I don't know if they chased it up. Yeah, but, you know, it, it just shows that when you're collecting data, there are very often left field uses of that data that might never have occurred to you. Especially something like cars, which are spread yeah. all over, you know, right. landscapes. So that's fascinating. We're going to take a quick break to hear an important message, and then we'll get right back to it. In an era of perpetual disruption, much of it propelled by breakthroughs in business technology, access to industry insights and expertise is more essential than ever. So is CompTIA. We're your nonprofit global tech association connecting leading innovators with the experienced technology solution providers who together are actively redefining the state of business technology. If your business builds, sells, influences, or drives the adoption of technology, CompTIA is the place for you. We help you and all the levels of your organization succeed through unbiased industry insight, credible guidance, and supportive collaborations that help you transform the way you do business. Become a member today at comptia.org slash register. So that's a great example of how sensors can be used in business applications. Uh, I'm sure there's thousands. Thinking about electric cars or maybe even autonomous cars, what do you think the number one ways that business will leverage this technology to make money and become more efficient, all that good stuff? Sure. And, uh, well, the, we're just starting on the road. I, I know I mentioned that we've had electric cars for over 100 years. In fact, most of the first cars were electric cars, uh, but then uh, petrol and diesel took over. But we're now back in an age when electrification is becoming uh, more the norm. Uh, and the reason for that is twofold. One is that Tesla are driving the narrative. And secondly, it's that China says so. <laughs> what, do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, China is now the world's largest market for cars. Uh, fully 30% of all new cars registered in 2017 were registered in China, as opposed to 17% in North America and something like 15% in Europe. So, you know, it's the world's largest market for cars. All the car manufacturers absolutely want to be selling in China for obvious reasons. They don't want to dismiss 30% of the market. And China passed legislation a couple of years ago, which said if you are a car manufacturer and you want to sell in China, then by 2019, so in a couple of months' time, 10% of your offerings need to be electric vehicles. Hmm. And by 2020, it needs to be 12%. And so on up to by 2025%, it needs to be 20% of actual sales. So because of that, suddenly all the car manufacturers got 
EV religion and started announcing the big programs that they were doing to launch electric vehicles. And, you know, you've got Volkswagen now and Toyota and PSA Group and GM and Ford and everyone talking about the billions of dollars they're investing in bringing electric vehicles to market. And that's why in the last few uh, weeks and months, we've seen the launch of the Jaguar I-Pace, of the Audi e-tron, of the Mercedes EQC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all vehicles which have a an expected range of between four and 500 kilometers. So that's about 300 miles uh, range. Uh, and they're all vying for that market. Now, it's, an, it's, it's a slow start for these companies because they've just, you know, they've been pushed into it. Uh, whereas the likes of Tesla have been going at this uh, initially they started with a roadster around 2006 i think it was and then it was 2012 if i remember correctly that they came out with the model s so really it's only been in the last six years that tesla have been doing this uh, but they're 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 pushing the narrative very very strongly and they're taking over the market in large part and so this this is becoming uh, this is be- this, they are making electric vehicles more and more than norm and and in mid by the mid 2020s the market for vehicles will flip to electric first. Uh, yeah. There are no, there are a number of reasons for this. At the moment, their range isn't fantastic. As I mentioned, we're talking about 300 miles, but in the, uh, the the cars that are being announced to come out by 2021 uh, and 2020 are looking at ranges of four, five, and 600 miles. The uh, Roadster, for example, launched, Tesla launching in 2020 will have a range of 620 miles, and BMW are talking about some of their cars having a range of uh, 600, five to 600 miles. So when you've got electric vehicles with a range of that kind of uh, size, then range is no longer an issue because that's greater than most internal combustion engine vehicles. The other big economic argument for uh, electric vehicles is the total cost of ownership and also uh, the cost of fuel. So obviously the cost of filling the tank of an electric vehicle is far less than filling the tank of a petrol or as, as you say, you guys in America say a gas tank. You know, it, it's it's cheaper to put electricity electrons in than it is to put gas or diesel. Uh, and consequently, so the running costs just on fuel alone of electric vehicles are far less. Then there's the maintenance costs, which are also far less because there's almost zero maintenance on electric vehicles. A, an internal combustion engine vehicle has got about 2,000 moving parts, whereas an electric vehicle has about 20. So there are, you know, 1,980 more parts, give or take, in, a, in an internal combustion engine vehicle that are likely to fail than in, a, in an electric car. And because of this, because of the lower costs of maintenance and because of the lower costs of fueling, when you look at the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle, it's far lower than an internal combustion engine vehicle. And that's particularly important for, as you mentioned, fleets, business fleets, bus fleets, trucks, etc. And those are all starting to be electrified now as well. Uh, if you look at you know, trucks in particular, uh, there's obviously the Tesla Semi, which was announced by, by Tesla, obviously, uh, back in last year, I think it was. But you've also got electric vehicle offerings now from DAF, from Volvo, from Peterbilt, from uh, Daimler, from Renault, from, you know, all the major truck manufacturers are coming into this space now because they have to, because the costs of the cost benefit of doing electric versus diesel for trucks 
particularly when you do it on a TCO basis, are far, far better. Similarly for buses, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg uh, New Energy brought out a report earlier this year talking about just that, the, the, um, the crossover point for diesel buses versus electric buses. And it's very, it, it, even now buses that do short distances per day, it's more economic to have them be electric than it is have them to be diesel. So in terms of costs, electric is, is the way to go. Uh, and that's hugely important, not just in terms of costs, but it's also hugely important when you think of air pollution in cities where a lot of these vehicles operate. Absolutely. And I imagine the same argument could be made for the automation of vehicles that, um, you know, you're removing cost, you're, you're, you're increasing safety, uh, you're improving efficiency. Is that, is that where businesses will generally jump on the bandwagon with automated vehicles? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so there's a, there's a huge shift in in uh, in manufacturing uh, circles now. There's there's a shift away from uh, making and selling goods to making and renting goods. Uh, it's, it's what they call product as a service. Um, so it's mm -hmm. the as as a service economy. And why am I bringing that up? Well, because. Autonomous, well, let, let's, let's think for a second of a General Motors car sold today. A standard internal combustion engine General Motors car sold today. That over its lifetime, from the minute it's sold, will earn General Motors in the order of $30,000 in repairs and maintenance and after sales and so on. $30,000 over the lifetime of the vehicle. That's kind of typically what a, gener a General Motors vehicle earns General Motors. But as we shift to electric vehicles, these need less maintenance, they fail less often, so that $30,000 falls. And then as we shift to autonomous vehicles, we start to get uh, that figure falling even further because, as you rightly mentioned, autonomous vehicles uh, they crash less often. They're safer. So there's less repairs to go on. And they're electric as well. So And and they just go and go. And less people will be buying cars as you get a move to autonomous vehicles. So this means for the likes of General Motors and other car manufacturers, the revenue that they'll be earning from these cars will fall and fall and fall. And the amount of cars they'll sell will fall and fall. So this is a big problem. Consequently, General Motors are shifting business models or they're bringing on an Another business model, it's the mobility as a service or transportation as a service, where they're setting up their Maven platform and they're starting next year in the US to have an autonomous taxi service where you have a Maven app on your phone, similar to Uber or Lyft. You press the Maven button, you order a Maven vehicle. It's a General Motors owned vehicle. It comes, there's no driver, you sit into it, and it knows where you want to go because you've already told the app where you want to go and it brings you there. And now it's a vehicle which still belongs to General Motors. It can run virtually 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is no driver to pay. There is very little maintenance. The fuel costs are very little. So it becomes a, a compelling business case for General Motors because the costs are very low and the return on investment is extremely high. They don't sell the car, they maintain ownership of the car and it's a mobility as a service, as I say, or transportation as a service. And that 30,000 they would have got from it if it was a petrol car or a diesel car, now converts to 40, 50, 60, 70,000 because these cars just go on forever and ever and ever. Mm. So it's a much 
more compelling business case for them. And so they're launching that service next year. They're not the only ones chasing that. And, you know, you can see the reasons why. But one of the huge uh, one of the huge things that's going to happen as you move to autonomous vehicles is you'll get other players coming in. And I'm not just talking about the likes of the Teslas and the disruptors, but you're going to get the likes of Starbucks, for example, coming in. And hmm. yeah, this, this may sound like a surprising suggestion. It may not be Starbucks, but, you know, that kind of thing whereby you open up the Starbucks app on your phone and you order a grande latte and the delivery vehicle that brings it to you also offers you a free ride to work. And when you when you sit into that vehicle, there's now a vending machine there which allows you to uh, get a bagel or a donut or, uh, I don't know, uh, some uh, nut bar or something similar, or any of the other kinds of things that they, they would sell in their shops. And all this is possible because the cost of transportation is going to zero. It doesn't cost Starbucks anything to send this vehicle with the Grande Latte. That's built into the cost of the coffee. Because, you know, and it's not just them. There's a, a startup called Neuro who have these little autonomous vehicles that uh, are for delivering groceries and they've done a deal with Kroger's. So now when you start, when you open up your Kroger's app and you, you, you order your Kroger's uh, groceries, if what will happen, it's, it's not happening yet. They're still in testing phase, but they've signed an agreement to do this. What will happen is the groceries will be put into this little autonomous uh, vehicle, which isn't even big enough to take a driver. It's just specially sized to take groceries and the groceries will come to your home and be delivered autonomously to you because it's going to cost so little to do it. Why wouldn't they? Uh, this is this is fascinating. This is absolutely mind-blowing. And, and what's really cool is the, the possibilities are endless in just um, changing the way we do things, but it's really building on things that we already understand. Those who know the managed services model understand that recurring revenue is a much better method exactly. um, as a service and not, not owning capital. That's a much better way of consuming things. I even see these fleets of autonomous cars almost like little Roombas all around the city, you know, that go and charge themselves on a map yep. somewhere. <laughs> so right. it's... That's Absolutely right. fascinating. And we're going to take an opportunity for a quick break to hear an important message. CompTIA benefits provide members with a wealth of resources that, when leveraged, result in measurable impact, helping to grow IT businesses and careers. Become a member today at comptia.org register. Well, we're, we're going to have to wrap up shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one other, one other thing. I mean, this has huge implications for all kinds of industries. I mean, first of all, you can imagine the parking industry. Why would you need car parks, big parking infrastructure anymore? If the cars are driving all the time, they don't need to park. Why would you need driving schools anymore? Why would you need stop signs anymore? Why would you need traffic lights anymore? You know, all these kinds of other things that are today related to auto, but may not be or won't be in, in the near future. But then also think of insurance. The insurance yeah. industry, Who, who's to blame if an autonomous vehicle crashes? Uh, Volvo, the CEO of Volvo, said recently that Volvo would take the blame. They would assume risk. Uh, and what does that do to the insurance industry? And I mentioned the connected cars at the outset. And just off the back of connected vehicles, uh, there's an insurance startup in Berlin, which is now doing a pay-per-mile car insurance. So 
literally if you only drive 6,000 miles a year, which is all I drive, uh, you know, you're paying far less than someone who drives 20,000 miles a year, which some of my neighbors drive and I'm paying the same insurance as them, which makes no sense, you know. So the, the, that insurance, that startup in Berlin is called Emil, E-M-I-L, but they're not going to be the only ones. There's going to be far more doing this. And getting back to autonomous vehicles, Direct Line, who are the largest insurer in the UK, are offering a discount for owners of Teslas with autopilot built in because they know they're safer. So if you have a Tesla with an autopilot, you automatically get a discount from Direct Line because it's a safer vehicle. So it, insurance are being uh, completely disrupted by this. Uh, the, as I say, things like uh, hotels, because, you know, if you were driving across country, normally you'd stop at a motel. But if you're in an autonomous vehicle, why would you stop at a motel? You just put the seat down, pull up your, the covers and go to sleep while the car takes you there. You know, so there's all kinds of implications to this industry. And that is a so, lot of so the people last... who are listening to our podcast, they service small and medium sized businesses or enterprises. And, you know, this is fascinating for the likes of GM selling to China or the Teslas making the electric cars or insurance companies, which are massive enterprises. What kind of opportunities does, do all these sweeping changes provide for smaller companies that are serving smaller markets? What, what advice would you give to them as they see this revolutionary change taking place around them? So there's a couple of things. If their manufacturers start thinking about an as-a-service model for whatever it is you manufacture, so that's the first thing, build sensors in. The, one of the advantages of having an as-a-service model is, as you rightly pointed out, you get recurring revenue, but you also get data back from the devices that you give to your customers now or rent mm -hmm. to your customers now. And that data, you can, for the first time, maybe see how your devices are actually being used in the wild. And you can get that data back to your R&D division and, you know, help inform your version three or version four or version five or whatever it is, whatever it is, the next version of whatever devices you're manufacturing. That's the first thing. And the other, the other thing I'd say to organizations is have a look at what's happening in the likes of transportation, not just transportation, but energy as well. Energy is going to store storage and renewables, and there's all kinds of business opportunities coming out of that. But look at what's happening in transportation as well. Look at what I mentioned Kroger are doing with this partnership with Neuro. And I think maybe is there something that your company could do? Uh, is there some kind of little vehicle like that that you could have roll out to do deliveries to customers? Or are there some extra services you could uh, offer to your customers or grow your customer base off the back of the fact that transportation, the cost of transportation are going to zero? Or if you have a fleet of vehicles, should you start looking at electric vehicle options because you'll save yourself a ton of money and that kind of thing. So mm. there's, there's lots to think about. Yeah, fascinating. So let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll finish with this, which is give us your vision for 2035 as we have all of this craziness happening and well, craziness, cool stuff happening, mm -hmm. uh, but, but mind-blowing to a lot of people. What's 2035 going to look like in the transportation industry? Are we going to have one? Oh, yeah, we'll have one definitely, but it'll be very different to the one that we have today. I mean, many of the, the big manufacturers who are out there today will no longer exist. Uh, several of the big uh, auto manufacturers will go out of business because they won't react quickly enough to, to this disruption. So there'll be several, you know, kind of Nokias of the car world. Um, and, and speaking of Nokias, uh, 
if, if you look at one of the leaders, in fact, the leader in, in the autonomous space, it's Google with their Waymo division. Mm-hmm. And if you just think of what Google did with Android to the mobile phone space, this is what Google's going to do to the transportation space with their Waymo. It'll be the software, it'll be the, the, the Android of the transportation sector. And then the car manufacturers will just become the handset manufacturers of the future. Um, <clears throat> By 2035, we will have uh, flying cars. I know people talk about flying cars, you know, since the the, the Jetsons kind of thing way back <laughs> in the day, but this, this is actually becoming a, a thing now. And there, all all the um, many of the big car companies are looking into it. And it, it's not the traditional flying car that you think about, uh, you know, where a car grows wings and takes off. It's not that kind of thing. What it is is drones. It's drones that are supersized. Uh, that you can sit into and you know same kind of thing you program where you want to go you sit into it it lifts off it's electric and it takes you where you want to go so those are going to become far more the norm uber are having a big look at this right now and they've got their uber air division and uber air have a partnership with nasa where they're building the open standards so that these drones can talk to each other and they can talk to air traffic control so they've got collision avoidance systems uh, systems completely automated uh, they will be far more than uber air is doing tests of its vehicles in uh, let's see if i remember los angeles dallas uh, Sydney and Dubai in the next coming years. They've got already sign off from these uh, cities to do that. Uh, it's not just Uber. There's lots of other companies. There's Lilium, there's Ehang, there's uh, Volocopter, who are heavily invested in by Intel. There's Airbus and Boeing, who are both investing heavily in this space as well. So, you know, when you see all these people jumping into that space, you know it's going to be a thing. It is going to happen. It's you know, it's five to 10 years out, not uh, the electric and autonomy that we were talking about, which is, you know, zero to, to, to 10 years. Uh, so this is 10, maybe even 15 years out, but it's, it's coming as well. And then uh, Glyn Shotwell, who's the president of SpaceX, says that we'll be traveling in rockets. So <laughs> their aim is to build spaceports in every major city and have people fly in rockets from city to city so that uh, they say that the cost... They say that a flight from London to Shanghai, for example, or London to uh, Los Angeles, for example, will take about 28 minutes and be the cost of a transatlantic ticket today. So who knows when that's going to happen? But again, that's that's uh, probably 10, 15 years out. But seeing what SpaceX have already done to the cost of uh, space transportation, I wouldn't count them out. Wow. Wow. Well, you took a big breath. I think we're all feeling like we need to take a big breath because the view of the future is, is uh, just dizzying. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much, Tom, for being on our, our podcast today. This was absolutely great. And I will have to have you back again and dive into some of these other topics like sure. space travel and things like that. So thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the MTech Cast. To learn more about CompTIA's emerging technology community, visit comptia.org/communities.